Kings chapter 11, then we went into chapter 12. We looked at Ahijah, the prophet, comes to Jeroboam, Solomon's servant. And the Lord said he's going to rend the kingdom from Solomon because he brought in all strange wives. And of course, Israel sinned before the Lord. And the Lord says he's going to rend the kingdom out of, of Solomon, but not in Solomon's day because of Solomon's father, David, that is the psalmist, the king. Uh, he says because of him and how he walked before God, he wouldn't rend the kingdom out of his hand, not of Solomon's hand, but take it out of Solomon's son's hand, who is Rehoboam. So Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And so in the days of Rehoboam, and we looked at it in depth last week, in the days of Rehoboam, um, the kingdom is rent. And if you remember, there's an awful feedback up here. I'm, I can't really get my, my thoughts together. It's buzzing in my ears. And Jer- it's, yeah, okay. That's it. Jeroboam has a new coat on, and it's rent in 12 pieces. And um, the Ahijah the prophet gives 10 pieces to Jeroboam, and he says that's for 10 tribes for the kingdom. Two tribes were to uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and that was for the, house of the southern kingdom of Judah. And that's what we looked at last week. Then we brought it into one of the parables. I hope to do another parable tonight, but I've so much uh, to try and bring you through. I don't know whether we'll get there or not, but when we looked at last week, we looked at, remember the two sons in the New Testament? They're the two, the two kingdoms that Jesus speaks of. The man who says, go work in my field today. And he says, I won't. And later he does. He says to another, go work in my field today. And he says, he will. And, and he doesn't. And he says, which one was righteous? And he says, the one who says, I'll go. I won't go, but later does. And that speaks of the northern kingdom that was cast away. And Jesus is speaking as the other man to the other man and to the Jews are he saying, you're saying you're working in the kingdom, but you won't. But the house of Israel were carried away well, and they'll come through the gospel. So that's the key. It opens the parable, remember. And then the prodigal son is, again, the northern kingdom, away into the other far countries, and spending his living on, uh, on uh, all the worldliness. And that speaks of the northern kingdom and coming back again to his father, And the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son is Judah or the Jews that are there in Jesus' day. And he's saying, you have everything. The father says, you have all that I gave you, but sure you didn't want to use it. You know, you've got it all at your fingertips. And it was the son was in the house, the father's house. Now, without going any further into that, we're going to look here at some reading. We're going to read quite a bit. And whenever we read quite a bit, we want you to see two houses, two kingdoms. We showed you actually two sisters last week, Ahala and Ahaliba. And we showed you how Ahala was Samaria, the northern kingdom, and their capital. Ahaliba is the southern kingdom, which is Jerusalem and the capital. Ahala, uh, the northern kingdom and its capital, Samaria, means she hath her own tent because they brought all of these foreign gods in. And the southern kingdom, Ahaliba, or Jerusalem, it meant these two sisters, two cities, means my tent isn't her. The temple was in her. So is everyone with me? That's a wee recap from last week. Will you turn with me now to the book of Kings again, please? Chapter 23. In those two kingdoms, from those two capital cities, the whole way through that, there's many kings come out from the northern kingdom, and there's many kingdoms come out of the southern kingdom. So there's many kings in Samaria. And there's many kings in Judah. And of course, our, that's Jerusalem, the capital city there. Now we're coming up to the close or the end of the kingdoms. I want you to see this first and then we'll backtrack. Second uh, Kings, pardon me, 23. Second Kings 23. Maybe I said first there. Second Kings 23. We're just going to lift a few verses for a few moments here, and then we'll maybe do a little backtracking in time. Verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down and burned the high place and stamped it, smalled the powder and burned the grove. 
And as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulchres that were there on the mount and sent and took the bones out of the sepulchres and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what title is that that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the sepulcher of the man of God, which came from Judah and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. And all the houses also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, Josiah took away and did to them according to all the acts that he had done in Bethel. And he showed all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars and burned men's bones upon them and returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord our God, as it is written in the book of this, this covenant. Surely there was, holding, there was not holding such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah. I want you to catch hold here, kings of Israel, kings of Judah. See the two kingdoms, see the two lines of kings, very important. Verse 23, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem, moreover the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations (coughs) that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. And like unto him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Josiah is the king in Jerusalem, the house of Judah, the kingdom of Judah in the south. Josiah has taken the, there were images from Dan to Bethel. And these were of the house of Israel, which Jeroboam had set up. He starts cleansing the land. And any of the bones of these apostates, he started crushing them down and burning them. Wanted nothing of a remembrance of any ungodliness. Then those who dealt with wizards and familiar spirits. And you can actually see it today in the New Ageism and all of that. He got rid of them all. Cleansed the land. So uh, Josiah was a reformer in the land. Now we talk, we talk about the Reformation. Re- to reform or the Reformation really means to make better by the removal of the faults. That's all it really means. And even the reformers in the, uh, the days of Luther and Calvin and all, they wanted to make actually the church better by removing the faults. But of course the schism came and the split when they wouldn't adhere to the, the word of the Lord rather than uh, their traditions of man. And so of course then we had the split in the church. And it's the same here in the nation at this time. Israel are in the north, their kings are, are, are wicked. Every one of them were wicked. And Josiah is one of the few good ones in Judah ruling out of Jerusalem. So remember, there's the northern kingdom of Samaria, uh, capital of Samaria, and the southern is Judah. Now notice here in verse 26, notwithstanding the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him with all. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also. Notice, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. What has he done with Israel? He's removed them. So they're not there. It's not right. They're gone. And will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So the Lord says, I'm going to still show my wrath against Jerusalem and Judah. Even though there's a reformation, but we find it wasn't in Josiah's time. He, he held his wrath back because of the, the reformation that Josiah came in the, uh, and the treatment of the temple and the worship and the turning his face again to the Lord. And you'll find that after Josiah... Um, was born. 
I'll tell you what, let's go back a few chapters to chapter 17. We'll run into this. Chapter 17. And just first, let's do a few verses. We'll have to skip over this for time's sake. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. Notice that. Here's two kings. This is, their, this is your king, the prophecy. Here's two kings. Notice, in the year, in the year, twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel. So if you can picture Ireland, we have the two capital cities, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland of Belfast and Dublin. That's what it was like. So Samaria was up in the north and Jerusalem in the south, the two lines of kings. Now I notice this, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. In other words, he wasn't the worst, but he was still bad. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea, became his servant and gave him presents. Now, don't mix this up with Hosea the prophet. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to Saul, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of, of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and Hebor by the river of Gozan in the cities of the Medes. For so, for so it was that, in, that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God and had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the king of, uh, kings of Israel, which they had made. So here the Lord's now explaining in his word. Shalmaneser comes over, starts carrying them away from the northern kingdom. He's taken away, and if you were to look at the map, it's round, almost round by the, the very region between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. That's where that is. Halaf and Hebar. That's where that is, the Caspian Sea. Now notice, let's just run down here for time's sake. I'm going to try and pick a few verses out for us. Okay, let your eye run down in the same chapter uh, to verse 17. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantment and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. So Israel are now gone. Who's Israel? This is the northern kingdom. Notice, there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. That's the southern tribe. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they, they, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David. And they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, and Jeroboam drove, drove Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in the sin, all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. Now, I think that's plain and straight, isn't it? We, we really understand what's happening here. The Lord removed that northern kingdom, that ten-tribe northern kingdom, removed them out of his sight, nor was out of the land where they were, and they were outside the land. And there's so much here I would like to read to try and grasp, but if you, but if you were to read on down, you'll read about Samaria, you'll read about the Assyrians, and what happened there. But let your eye, just for time's sake, so they're all carried out, the Samarians, they note they, they are the, the, pardon me, the, the Assyrians, they actually then take other peoples of conquered and put them in the northern Israel. Watch this. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Eva and from Hamath and from, from Sepharavim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. You see that? And they possessed Samaria. And dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning 
of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Wherefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nation, the nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria, know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he hath sent lands among them, and behold, they slay them because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, carrying, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let him them go and dwell there, and let them teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria. Notice that. This is a, a priest from the northern kingdom. Sure, they were already worshipping everything else. What would he know? When you think about it, this is, this is an idolatrous priest. They've carried them away and they've put all people in the northern kingdom. I don't know who those people are. I don't know where the peoples today would be. They could be even Palestinians. You wouldn't know. But notice this. Then one of the priests whom I had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Yet they, they weren't fearing the Lord when they were carried away. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. Now this is important. Notice this. And the men of Babylon made Sukoth Benoth, and the men of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Alphites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Seraphites burned their children in the fire to Adramalak, and Adramalak the god of Seraphim. So uh, here we have all these other gods now being worshipped. And this priest has no idea who Yahweh is. He's meant to be teaching them. But they're already starting to worship their own gods. Now, talks here about the Samaritans. That's where the Samaritans come from. Now, if that sounds familiar, when you go to John's Gospel, chapter 4, you'll find that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. You get it now. They had no dealings with the Samaritans. And remember, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And that's up around that region where Israel were carried away from. And there were, if I have time, we might have to bring it into next week, we have time, I'm going to show you. There were like, say, in Afghanistan or Syria today, the way you know, you'd have people escaping, you'd have people hiding still in the country. Well, that's what the northern kingdom was like. And the Lord tells you that he tells us in his word that that's what it was like. There were people who had escaped the carrying away. So they were still wee puppets off them about. He started to mingle with these people. And that's why they were known as half-breeds. And they didn't want any Jews would have nothing to do with them. Oh, you are off those other people. And, well, we are Israelites. And that's why the woman at the well, in John chapter 4, that's why the woman at the well, who has had, remember, five husbands, she's with man number six. That's actually prophetic in our reading. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right, you've had five. You're with number six. Here they are. The men of Babel made Sukkoth Benoth. There's husband number one for the Samaritans, or these, uh, the Israelites that were there, that were left over. Nergal was the other one. Ashimov was the other one. Nibhaz, Tartak, and Amalek, Amavilak. There's six of them. And that was the gods that they brought into that land. Jesus says, you've worshipped all these gods. Does that make sense to you? When he's them? So it's more than her just having six, six husbands, as it were, six men in her life. Here the idea is that Jesus went and he, he says, our father Jacob told us to worship in this mountain. Is that right? Give Or this well. And we worship in the mountain, pardon me. And you worship in where? Jerusalem. We worship in, we worship in the mountains of Samaria. But you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, the hour's coming now is when you know, you'll neither worship in the mountain nor at Jerusalem. But what? You'll worship in spirit and in truth. And that's whenever the gospel message comes forth in the spirit. Everybody with me? This is hundreds of years before. So it shows you the, what's being set down in the history. Two kingdoms. See how important it is now we're looking at this? Okay. Go with me briefly, please, to chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So now... 
in Hosea, so bringing us back, in this King Hosea's time in the northern kingdom of Israel, there was a king in Jerusalem, and he was Hezekiah, okay? He was 25 years old, was he, when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David did. He, and then you can read, he removed all the high places, and he tore everything down, and he done what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, Hosea, king of Israel here, is the last king in the northern kingdom. He's the last king. And he's carried away um, by the Assyrians, as we've read. And that's about 722 BC. Okay? So that's about 722. Hezekiah is on the throne in Jerusalem. Here's your two kings. And keep emphasizing because it's important. He's on the throne in Jerusalem. Let your eye run down to verse 9, please, of chapter 18. And he came to, it came to pass in the fourth year of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel. Notice that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. So this is all going on up north. And at the end of three years, they took it, even the sixth year of Hezekiah. So what they're saying is, when this was taken away, the northern kingdom, Samaria is conquered in the north, and Hosea the king is taken away, Hezekiah was on the throne for three years at this point. <coughs> Everybody with me? Okay. He was on the throne in Jerusalem for three years at this point. Even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel into Assyria and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan in the city of the Medes because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and would not hear them, nor do them. Now, in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah, and took them. So he comes in from the north, takes over Samaria, takes away all the ten tribes of the north, but he decides to keep coming south and he comes right to the border of Judah and Israel. And there's 46 fenced cities or fortified towns and he takes every one of them, swallows them up and he brings them away. So all the tribes of Israel are counted with the northern kingdom then, carried away. <coughs> and later on you'll find most of the tribes of Israel with the scatterings come down south and they're actually counted in with Judah. So the Lord has actually used both to be in both. Let's, let's just look a little bit further. I don't want to just keep reading and reading for you. I'm trying to explain it as I go along. Let's go to verse uh, 13. Well, we're at 13, weren't we? And Hezekiah, 14, Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent the king of Assyria to the church, saying, I have offended. Return from me, which thou puttest on me, and I will bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, let me tell you what happens. King of Assyria is right on the border and he's now coming into Judah and he's around Jerusalem and Hezekiah, the king in Jerusalem, says, okay, what do we owe you if you leave us alone? So he tells him what he wants and Hezekiah starts pulling the gold off the walls, golden shields, pulls them off the wall and he starts getting all the tribute and giving it away just to keep the king at bay. The king starts writing, sending forth men, and they write a letter to the people saying, don't listen to Hezekiah, their God, his God can't save you. And then we'll go into the next chapters. We're not going to read it for time's sake. Read it when you go home, or when you get a chance. In chapter 19, all through, you'll find Hezekiah gets the letters, threatening letters, and he spreads them out before the Lord. And he says, Lord, would you read what the enemy's saying here? And the Lord says, I'll deal with him. And something like, 185,000 of them were dead by the next day. And I left them alone in Jerusalem. So we have Hezekiah, this good king in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, he's pulled a lot of stuff off the walls. When we go to chapter um, 20, Hezekiah is sick. 
Verse 1, in those days Hezekiah was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember not now how I have walked before thee in, the, in truth, and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up to the house of the Lord. Notice, this is important, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. Notice, and I will deliver thee, and the city of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend the city for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Now, the Lord extends Hezekiah's life for 15 years. That's an important 15 years because his life actually shows the rest of the history of the house of Judah. It goes down the tubes after this. It just goes down. If, Lord had a, if he had a wanted to go and the Lord wanted him to go, it would have saved a lot of trouble. We're going to look at it in a little minute. And strange, I was talking to someone yesterday about this. They were asking me and they were talking to them about treatment they were getting. Why, why is the Lord not healing? And I said, you know what? Sometimes the Lord does use medicine to heal. He used a, I used this. I said, the Lord used a, a poultice. <coughs> why did the Lord not say, Hezekiah, you're praying to me, you're healed. Or why did the Lord not send Isaiah the prophet in again and say, I'm laying hands on you, I'm going to pray with you, and you're healed. Or speak the word to him, and he was healed. But instead the Lord says, make a poultice, stick it on him, and I'll heal him. There was a medicinal purpose in this one. Why, does it, why was it like that? I don't know. Why did he say to Timothy, take a little wine off times for thy, thy stomach's sake, because he had a bad stomach. The Apostle Paul, why do you not just speak the word? Apostle Paul, why do you not go and lay hands on him? Because God's different ways than what he does. But notice this. Hezekiah has 15 years. So um, chapter 20 Verses, uh, uh, we'll, not, we'll not read it, but from verses 12 to 19, Hezekiah gets a wee friendly visit from the Babylonians. And they come, and what he does, he thinks they're great, and he shows them all the things of the kingdom and of the palace. You know what to do? They come to get it. Sometimes you can open your heart too much. Sometimes you can throw pearls before swine. And that's what happened to Hezekiah. Things start going downhill for him from there. From the Lord had healed him. And then in chapter 20 and verse 21 of you, let's just read the last verse. Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. Talk about going from bad to worse. Bad to worse. Chapter 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 15 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And, she, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel. Ahab's years ago in the north. Remember Jezebel and Ahab? Elijah goes. Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Elisha was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And here we're told that he looks back and says, look what Ahab done. I'm going to do all that Ahab done. All the wickedness. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. Now, when you read on down, you'll read about this, this man. If you go to verse 10, please. And the Lord spake by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, he's even worse than the heathen. Above all the abominations that the Amorites did, 
which were before him, and hath made Judah to sin with this idol. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever heareth it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I, I read recently a woman saying, uh, a, a woman had written, and it was done in a jest, she said, you know, there's a scripture for men doing the dishes. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Notice this. The Lord says, I'm going to put the plummet, that which was over the house of Ahab and all the kings of the north, I'll stretch it over Jerusalem and treat them exactly the same, like a man wiping a dish. And he flips it over and sets it down. That's what he's going to do to Jerusalem and Judah. Just flip the whole lot over. Wipe it all clean. When we get to chapter 21 and verse 16, moreover Manasseh shed innocent blood, notice very much, till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. Till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. The blood of people were everywhere with this man. He was... This man was a maniac. <coughs> he was a tyrant. Beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, we have in this, we have Manasseh's legacy. That's it in a nutshell. The blood from one end of Jerusalem or to the other. Verse 19 we have Manasseh, Manasseh's progeny. Ammon was 20 and two years old, began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name, Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Jotba. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh did. There you are, there's the legacy he's left behind for his, for his progeny, his son. So now you have Hezekiah, you had Josiah, then Hezekiah, um, and then you had Manasseh, and now you have Ammon. Ammon only reigned for two years, by the way. He only had a short reign. He only had a short reign. And then we have, um, pardon me, we have Josiah. You had Hezekiah, and then now we have Josiah. Uh, four more kings reigned after Josiah from our first reading, and they are Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. Sounds like going into a Chinese restaurant sometimes, doesn't it? And Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last king in Judah. Zedekiah was the last king in Jerusalem. And when Zedekiah then, Babylon came and carried them away. And if you remember, his sons were all killed before him and his eyes put out. The last thing he would remember burned into his conscience was the death of his sons. The death of his sons. Okay. So we have the fall of Jerusalem after Zedekiah. And the fall of the house of Judah. Okay. Let's just look at a few things here. And then I'm going to bring you into one of the parables. We'll have a quick look at it. And we'll wrap it up. I'll be wrapped up. Um, so when you're going down through time. Zedekiah is the last king. Around Zedekiah's time there was a prophet. Jeremiah. Okay. The prophet Jeremiah was in the land that time. And he's prophesying, telling the people to turn to God. You know what they've done? They threw him in a pit because he wasn't politically correct. It's happening today, isn't it? It's the same. You're too hard. You're, you're, you're too fundamental, Jeremiah. And he says, if you don't, the Lord's, going to, the Lord's going to judge us here. And so the prophecies were already there, as we have read, from Manasseh's day. But the Lord held off and gave them space. Now I notice this in Jeremiah chapter 25. Remember they're carried away into Babylon. Let's go to Jeremiah 25. Is everybody with me okay? Okay, I'm trying to just do it as chronologically as I can. So Jeremiah chapter 25, let's turn to it. Okay. Just let your eye run down. We're just going to lift a few verses out. 
verse 11. Verse 11, please. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Notice that. Jeremiah now, it's the time of the last king, and he's saying, you're going to go into Babylon because you won't turn to God. You'll be there for 70 years. Verse 12, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it, make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words that I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah hath prophesied for these nations. Now I go to chapter 29. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows it. They're carried away. Jeremiah is part of those people who stay behind in the city because the Lord enables that. And then he ends up going down into Egypt, actually. But notice this. There's a whole row about them going to Egypt and not going to Egypt. Actually, Jeremiah went when he shouldn't have went. But anyway, in the providence of God, he allowed it. (laughs) Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished, and Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of, e- not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. Okay, And I will turn away your captivity. Now, time's sake, let's go to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel. So they're carried away into Babylon. Book of Daniel, chapter 9. Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was king, made king over the realms of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years. Now, this is a prophetic number of years that we all, everybody argues over at the end. But notice, Daniel's reading the books. Whereof the word of the Lord came to, the prophet, to Jeremiah the prophet. So, Daniel's reading the prophet Jeremiah. That's why I believe the covenant that's later on mentioned in this chapter is not a covenant of an antichrist with the Jews, which is broken, but rather it is the new covenant of Christ. Why? Because in Jeremiah 31 and 31, he says, Behold, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Daniel is reading this book in captivity, and he's reading the numbers of years. And the Lord Jesus comes and makes that new covenant that that covenant's already made. Notice what he says. He's reading that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now the Lord says, he'll seek my face. Notice what he says. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord, unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, Great and dreadful, God keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts, from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as it, as it as at this day, to the men of Judah, notice, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, notice, that are near, that are far off, through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, they have trespassed against thee. See that? Near, Jerusalem, near and far, even in all the countries. Who is that? House of Israel. Already. The Bible speaks it, doesn't it? It shows you itself. And many would tell you, no, they were all around that area and they all just got together and became known as Jews. Nowhere says that. We're not told that anywhere. But Rogers said, we're scattered. Okay. When we look 
Elijah, uh, let's say Jeremiah will be easy for you. Jeremiah 52. Jeremiah 52. And verse 6. Hmm. Don't want to take this too long here. In the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city so that there was no bread for the people of the land. Then the city was broken up and all the men of war fled and went forth of the city by night by the wall of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were by the city round about and they went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah. Here's your last king. In the plains of Jericho and his army and scattered him. And they took the king and carried him up unto the king of Babylon to Riblah, the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And he slew also the princes of Judah in Riblah. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. Now, if you were to read Psalm 37, you're going to hear they're all in captivity. Daniel is at the end of the captivity saying, Lord, you've said after 70 years. During that time, Psalm 37, by the rivers of Babylon, maybe sat down there, we wept when we remembered Zion. That's the Jews in Babylon. That's Judah out there. And they can't even worship. They hang their harps on their willows. Like we can't worship. Ezekiel is out there by the river Kibar. He sees all the glorious things. And of course, uh, the idea of this is that they had, they were repentant. Uh, they were repentant to a point And not all of them would return again. Only, I think it's somewhere around the region of 42,000 out of all those people returned again to Jerusalem. The rest stayed in there. You read of of Esther. And that's when they stayed in there. But then throughout the years, they started to intermingle and marry. And then they came across and they started to bring Babylonian Talmudism to the test of the Lord Jesus. And that's, that's whenever the Jesus says, you're off your father, the devil. You're, doing the, you're worried about the traditions of men rather than the, the laws of God. Okay. Now, I don't want to worry you out with this. I'll tell you what we'll do. You've, turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Try and jump across a few of these. Ezekiel 37 shows the scattered Israel, folly of dry bones. And then after the folly of dry bones, in the same chapter, notice what it says in verse 15. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and ride upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. See the two kingdoms here, the two nations? Judah and the children of Israel. Then take another stick and write for Joseph the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel his companions. So he's now saying you have two sticks for these kingdoms. And join them one to another into one stick and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph. Joseph is another name of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. Okay. Which is in the hand of Ephraim. And the tribes of Israel his fellows. And I will put them with them, even with the stick of Judah. And make them one stick. And they shall be one in mine hand. Now, that's just for time's sake. Let it run on down a bit. And go to verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now, David's dead. (coughs) An awful lot of years. He's dead. And they shall have one shepherd. David, my servant, and they'll have one shepherd. 
They shall also walk in my judgments and serve my statutes and do them. They shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. I wonder what covenant that is. Would that not be the covenant of Jeremiah 31? With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, the two sticks. The covenant of blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will make a covenant with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant. And I will place them and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. Notice, my tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God. They shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now, if this sounds, some of this sounds familiar. Of course, we know if you turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And this is the, the, the whole chapter is about the shepherd. Verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door of the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, is the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door of the shepherd of the sheep, notice, who's he speaking of but himself? To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Who is this shepherd then? The Lord Jesus Christ. But what about the tabernacle? Then go to the book of Revelation. Revelation um, chapter 21. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there's no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven as a bride prepared, a bride adorned, pardon me, for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, what does it say? The tabernacle of God is with men. And he, who's he? The tabernacle of God is a he. Christ is the tabernacle of God, and him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Notice, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Isn't that the same language? And God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears. Who's he speaking of? The Lord Jesus Christ with us. Can you see it all coming together? Now that you've got that, I'll maybe do something else next week, but let me just run through a quick parable, okay? Just quickly. Turn with me, please. Uh, to Luke chapter 16. No, I'll tell you another. Yeah, turn to Luke 16. You all know it very well. Never forgot myself there. There was a, verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and furred sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and saith Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great fixed so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot neither can they pass to us that would come from thence then he, then he said I pray thee therefore father that thou would send him to my father's house for I have five brethren that he may testify to them lest they also come into this place of torment Abraham said unto him they have Moses and the prophets let him hear them and he said nay father Abraham but if one went Unto them from the dead they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, the, 
the general thought of this is that this is an actual happening. People preach that there's a, a man in heaven and a man in hell. The, the Lazarus dies and goes to heaven, and the rich man dies and goes to hell. Now, if someone preaches that, I have nothing against someone preaching it, but that's not the idea of this parable. This is a parable. I believe in hell, where is the lake of fire, and I believe in heaven. But at this point, I want to show you, remember the key for the parable. Listen. Here's some questions they ask. There's a rich man and there's Lazarus. Do men go to hell because they're rich? No. No. Well, do poor men go to heaven because they're poor? No, they don't. So then, how does this happen in this parable or in this reading? Here's another thing I want to ask you. Can one person send a message from hell to heaven? No. Or from heaven to hell? No. Does a spirit have a tongue? Or a finger? Their spirit, they don't. So why is it literal? Let's open it with the key. This rich man represents the southern kingdom of Judah, the Jews. Remember Jesus is speaking to them? Now notice what this man was like. There was a certain rich man, verse 19, was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple speaks of royalty in scripture. The king line, kingship line of Judah. Fine linen was the priestly garments. So Jesus was speaking about the king line that that came out of Judah, David and so on that we've talked about, and the Levitical priesthood was still there, and the Aaronic priesthood was there throughout history. And now there's some Levites who are still there, but now the pharisaical order have taken it over. The fine linen speaks of the priesthood. And then it says in verse 19, and he furred sumptuously. What does it mean, furred sumptuously every day? Well, it means they had the Torah, the scrolls of the prophets, and the books of Moses. They had the Tanakh. They had the scriptures. They had the synagogues, the meeting, the hearing. They had the temple sacrifices. They all... Uh, they were all that was left or survived of, of Hebrew Israelite religion and everything was left in their hands. They fared sumptuously with it. It's like the older brother from the prodigal son. Let's look at the next verse. And there was a certain beggar, his name was Lazarus, was laid at his gate full of sores. This is the northern kingdom of the house of Israel who had none of it. Had all wicked kings. Had false religions we had looked at. Uh, bull calves in Dan and in Bethel and went to worship them instead and they were started, he started to starve the Israelites started to starve in the spirit Jesus is speaking of this and then it says and what's led at his gate full of sores at the rich man's gate what happened? they were removed to Haloth and Habor the rivers of the Medes and Persians they were actually outside of the Holy Land and the Jews or the Judites still had the land, still had all of that sumptuously. And they were lying outside after being taken away, full of sores. In other words, they were dying. See, these people would have known what he was talking about. And then when we go on, verse 21, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from a rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. The, the Gentile, uh, heathen, non-Israelite people around them, they came and started to gather around them. And what happened? They started to become like them, the dogs of the Gentiles. They ministered their false doctrines to them, their idolatrous heathen worship, and the house of Israel just became like the Gentiles. That's how they became lost. But notice, notice in the next verse, and it came to pass, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. So the house of Israel 
were lost, as it were. They were buried in the earth or in the, the, the realms of the, the, the nations. Jesus is talking about this. Died spiritually. They didn't know who they were. And then, of course, when you look at the prodigal son, and he says, the father says to the older brother, this, thy brother, his son, thy brother was, remember he comes back again, this thy brother was dead. He's alive again. How does he come alive? This is the same as Abraham's bosom. Because of the covenant, unconditional covenant of God made with Abraham, not relying on the people, but God says it's in my plan and purpose to do all my will. Stay with me and I'll show you. First of all, Abraham's bosom, Israel are still in that unconditional covenant. And Lazarus was carried by the angels, as it says here. Again, Luke 15 and 10. Likewise I say unto you, the Lord Jesus said, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And what's he saying to the Jews here? These people are going to hear the gospel. They're going to get saved. They're going to be carried, as it were, by the angels. In other words, it gives the idea that salvation has to come from heaven. Notice again, in uh, Mark 13 and 27, Then he shall send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth, the uttermost parts of heaven. So it's, it's all to do with the working of God. And then in Revelation 14 and 6, says an angel now, angels can't preach the gospel as people preach the gospel, but the idea here is he's going throughout the earth and the nations. What with the everlasting gospel? So what he's saying here is, because of Abraham's covenant, now found in Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying these people will repent and they will be Christians. That's you and I. The rich man dies. Judah died and was buried. When did that happen? AD 70. The, the, uh, Titus destroyed the temple, scattered the Jews. Notice this. What about the torments? Notice. Verse 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and saith Abraham far off. What does he mean, the torments? Notice verse 24, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. What does he mean by that? I'll tell you what he means. He lifts up his eyes in hell. He's in torments, and it speaks of the persecution, of the murder, of the hell that the Jews went through in all the countries of the world. For years. Every country they were in, they were ostracized, they were murdered, they went through hell, they were cast out. Jesus is prophesying here. Can you see it now? With a key? And during these agonizing experiences, they have seen Lazarus. Who have they seen? They've seen you and I. They've seen us in the blessing of God. And they're so vehemently against Christ, they're jealous of it. Like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. There's a great gulf fixed. What is that gulf? The gulf is this. It's between being in Christ and being out of Christ. It's the same for every sinner. For being in Christ or out of Christ. Accepting Christ or rejecting Christ. And they can't see it and they can't grasp hold of it. The rich man is hot as day. He says, send forth Lazarus to tip his, tip his finger in water. And he says, he can't do that because of this great gulf. He says, and send him to let my five brethren know. So what does that mean? Judah, the man Judah, where the tribe comes from. His mother and father are Jacob and Leah. Leah had six sons. Judah and five brothers. Read it in the book of Genesis. 
Jesus knows what he's saying here. Saying to you, you've had five, but most of them are already away with him. He says, you can't do that because you won't listen to Moses and the prophets. And even though one will rise from the dead, you still won't listen. Who is he speaking of? Himself. I'm going to die and rise from the dead and you still won't listen. Does it make sense to you now, the two kingdoms? Makes sense to you? So there's another key. We'll do another one next week. Maybe not. It's a lot of reading in it, but I have to do all that reading to show you where we're going with it. Bless us all. Um, we'll sing some.